Hello and welcome to another episode of our Brothers Creed Podcast. We're talking about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers. I'm Ethan. And I'm Jared. And today we're going to talk about uh, habits that uh, will help you build wealth. And what we're going to do is talk about a couple of different studies that have been done about those who are wealthy, who have built wealth over their lifetime, and what did they do? What are some of those habits? Uh, we talk about some entrepreneurs. We talk about just some regular everyday people and how there's some simple habits that you can uh, take on or that you can practice uh, to be just like these folks. And, and by doing these things, you can improve your efficiency, you can improve your wealth situation, uh, and in other aspects of your life as well. So it's going to be an interesting lesson. I think I'll, I'll re-listen to this a couple of times myself uh, to just let, it, let those habits sink in because they're very good. All right, let's do it. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in a pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a man with true grit. I am the one who knocks. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! That's how winning is done. Okay, so originally this episode kind of was... uh, all about millionaires, right? We were talking about, we said, oh, well, uh, um, you know, w- what are the habits of millionaires? And then we kind of thought bigger, right? Well, at first I was like, this is kind of like a, like, like a Dr. Evil thing. It's like $1 million, you know? And it's like, that's actually not that much money. <laughs> yeah, they're like, a- oh, anymore. okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, someone working, you hear all the time, like someone working in like a, a janitorial job over their lifetime, like accumulated like millions of dollars. And it's just like, you know, that's, yeah, that definitely takes discipline, but I don't think $1 million is what it used to be back in like the 90s or, yeah. even, or even before that, you know? So that's the question. How much is a million dollars? If you accumulate a million dollars, let's say you have a million dollars in the bank, let's say, whatever else. Um, how much money is that and how long will that last you in retirement? Because really the whole purpose of building wealth, I mean, is to uh, create a positive situation for your family. Right. But uh, so that whenever you get to that point of retiring, whether that be in your 40s, 50s, 60s, hopefully not 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, so that you can retire and be able to support whatever lifestyle you want to, basically. Um, so how much is a million dollars? If someone has a, a million dollars whenever they retire, how long is that going to last them? Well, a couple things. It all depends on uh, geography, you know, if you a million dollars living in in L.A. probably is not that much, but yeah, maybe like a million, five years of you living. <laughs> yeah, but maybe a million dollars living in Ecuador is a lot of money. Oh yeah. So so it, it depends on uh, geography, longevity. Uh, if someone lives, you know, they retire at sixty, but then they live to be a hundred and eight, then it's like, oh shoot, you know, I didn't plan for forty eight years of retirement. <laughs> Um, next hopefully, one is, hopefully you weren't doing nothing during retirement. Yeah, seriously. So next one is lifestyle, uh, healthcare, uh, retirement income, investment risk, and inflation are all things that really kind of uh, depend on uh, basically affect that million dollars. Um, so the answer is how long will one million dollars last you into retirement? And the average there was a, a study done that uh, basically it was an, a, an accounting firm and an advisory firm that said this is, if you live on this much, 
then it will last you this long. So they said it will last you about 20 years if, um, basically it says, so if you uh, retire at 65, uh, is the the average within an average approximate income of $50,000 a year, which is not that much, especially in, you know, 15 years or in the future, if you're looking in the future. Yeah, if you're talking about 50 year, a 50 year old person making $50,000 a year, that's yeah. probably, I mean, that's right. I mean, that's middle, middle, that's lower, the, lower, lower middle. Yeah. I would say well, the thing is lower, even, middle, lower middle class. Yeah. And if you think about us, like if, uh, if I'm making $50,000 a year in, you know, 30 years from now, whenever, t- I mean, 30 years from now, 50,000 is going to be like 30,000. And so you got to think yeah. about it. So, so that is, if you're making, if you, are earning your annual expenses are approximately fifty thousand uh, dollars. It accounts for two point nine percent inflation. Your investments, on average, they say, will earn four percent each year. Uh, and these are just very basic numbers. Um, and then it says, you know, whatever tax bracket you're in. So a million dollars seems like a, mo- a lot of money, but in today's world, it's it's not that much. Uh, I mean, if you retire at sixty five, then if you li- if you skimp for the next twenty years, then yeah, you can maybe make a million dollars last and not have to. I mean, you don't want to live in a kind of retirement like that where you're having yeah. to skimp uh, skip on everything you you do. And you're like, yeah, you want to be you want to be running around. You want to be going and visiting all the grandkids. You want to be, you know, going on vacation or traveling or, or experiencing different things. So, one of the things I said is basically they concluded that if you wanted to have a if you wanted to fully fund that retirement for 35 years, you needed an additional $750,000. So you needed like $1.7 million to make that $50,000 lifestyle last for 35 years. And so it's just kind of crazy to think like that $50,000 lifestyle is, I mean, it's survivable. If you're empty nester, I mean, you got your, all your house paid off and stuff like that. I could see that working. Yeah, that's definitely. I mean, that's that's not too shabby. But um, I I knew I knew I met a doctor once. I was at a like a real estate. Actually, it was like a county real estate sale uh, where they sell properties and stuff in, in Utah. I went to one to just kind of just to see what it was about. And uh, I met this doctor. I sat down next to him, and he was a doctor. And he said, "Yeah, I uh, was talking to my financial advisor and." I was like, yeah, I've got, you know, a million five in my retirement. And and, that, and he's like, after talking with my advisor, I realized that's not nearly enough. That's not nearly enough what I need because he's not living a $50,000 a year lifestyle. Especially if you want to maintain a lifestyle. He, he's probably living a $150,000 a year lifestyle. And so he wants to maintain that. And he's like, there's no, like what I thought was enough isn't nearly enough. So he was like, now I'm here at these auctions because I want to get properties. I want to build a real estate cash flow income. Uh, and, and that, that was his, his next thing. And so he was starting to build his portfolio doing that. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, for me, it was, you know, where do I, where do I start? And one thing for me was looking at, well, what type of money do I want to make during retirement? You know, what are my estimated expenses going to be? And then how much do I want above and beyond that? Um, and so that gives you a, a certain number. Maybe it's one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Then you bet. Then you can back that out, and you say, okay, in order to make one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year in retirement off of you know investments or passive income or or actual income or whatever else you want to say, how much do I have to have? 
Yeah. The thing is, I think it depends on your definition of retirement. You know, like my definition of retirement is that like, well, I'm just doing what I want to do. I don't have to be, if I want to wake up in the morning and I don't want to have to go to work, then I don't have to. And that, pe- that could be making money. Yeah. I mean, if you go ever go into Bass Pro Shop, you see a lot of old guys in there. And the reason why they do that is because they want to keep busy and because they want a 20% member discount, <laughs> you know, employee discount at Bass Pro Shop. And ammo is <laughs> expensive these days, uh, except for they probably don't get it. I don't think employee discount bis- counts for ammo. Yeah, probably not. But still, um, you know, people, you got to keep busy. If you've ever looked at, you know, you know what a blue zone is? No. So a blue zone is there's different parts of the world where people have like serious longevity. They live super long, like into their hundreds. And so, and it's really weird because they're usually concentrated into different places around the world. And there's like, I think like five to six blue zones. And there's a, there's a guy who studies these blue zones uh, and he, he, he's got a website about it and everything. It's very, very interesting. He studies why are these people living so long? Uh, and one of the things is that they stay busy. Uh, they continually engage their mind. Uh, I think there's one in Japan. There's one in California. Uh, there's one in like Italy or, or Greece, something like that. Uh, and you think there's all different types of foods that these people eat, uh, but it, it really has a lot to do with friendships, uh, being close to the community, being active, uh, being active, and also uh, having being engaged in something in a work. Uh, and so, you know, during retirement, whether that's working at Bass Pro Shop or whether that's, you know, fixing up rental properties or whether that's, you know, just day trading your money or, or who knows, you know, because, because you have to, or because you want to, I mean, yeah. it's, 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 well, ideally I mean, in retirement, you just be doing it because it's fun because yeah, you enjoy doing that it. That would be my idea of doing things that I like to be doing. We could just podcast. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Making millions. We're doing that right now. We're already we're basically retired right now. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I wish. Yeah, I wish. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. Anything else? Uh, no, on, that was just, I just thought it was an interesting study that, you know, you can, everybody kind of thinks that this, this million dollars, quote unquote, you know, air quotes, but uh, it's going to take more than that. And I, I don't think a lot of people think about that. And the worst thing I can imagine is getting to 60 years old and then finding out, oh, my $1.5 million in the bank is not enough to live the lifestyle that I want to live. Oh, why well, didn't, you know, I didn't even think about it. Yeah. And I just can't imagine because then you, then you have what, five years before you want to potentially retire or you're going to have to continue to work to, to create that lifestyle. So one of the biggest things is starting young to try to build that wealth because time is one of your best allies when it comes to building wealth. Absolutely. But I think that greater than that, imagine, you said, imagine how sad that would be if you get to retirement, you're like, oh, a million dollars is not enough. Imagine all the people, and there are, I would say, I would say the majority of people in America don't plan for retirement at all. Yeah. And they get to retirement, they're like, well, Social Security is going to save me. It's like, dude, Social Security is going to be bankrupt in probably less than 10 years. And like, there's going to be nobody to pay for that. I mean, so the tax, it's just like, it baffles my, it boggles my mind how many people get to retirement and they have nothing and they're just going to depend on social security. In my mind, I view social security as simply a, ta- a government tax. I don't view it as, you know, they're keeping my money in a, a special account for me or I'm going to get that back because they're not, they don't keep it in a special account. They, they've already tapped into the social security and they just basically, uh, there is no like separate social security, uh, you know, 
big account that the government manages with everybody's social security donations in it. No, they've already tapped that for other stuff. And we're so far behind on that, that the, all these rising boomers that are now going into their uh, retirement years, we're going to be in a serious crunch for us, for our generation, the millennial generation, even in Gen Z to have to pay for that. And there's a lot, you know, it's, it's very, it's a, that's, we could do a whole episode on that. (laughs) So I don't want to dive too deep into that, but definitely uh, what we want to talk about some of the, the, the tactics of how to be successful, how to build that wealth. So uh, some of the stuff that I looked at was I actually kind of went up another tier. I went up to the billionaire status uh, with a B and um, I was, Thinking, you know, these guys are are, are super wealthy, uh, not just about their money, but I, I wanted to understand what it is that they do to become so wealthy. What do they do to create the type of habits that put them in a situation where they can do that? So one of the first ones I want to share was about, and I, and I really do believe in this, it's planning out your day, uh, planning out your schedule, scheduling your day and your week. And this is something that I've been doing Every week uh, since the beginning of the year, this is one of my New Year's resolution goals. Uh, set a record here for uh, <laughs> keeping your New Year's resolution goals, right? Uh, I've been doing it every week. My wife and I, we sit down every week and plan out that week what's going to go on and what our, what our different things are because you know, I've got a lot going on. I've got, you know, we've got to record a podcast almost every single week. I've got some church responsibilities. Occasionally, I'll got to go shoot at the range. I've got, you know, some consulting work that I do and just... Lots of stuff. Kids running around. Yeah, exactly. Take them to activities and stuff. So this one, uh, Elon Musk, he, he he does it to a detail that's unbelievable. He calls it, the, he, he has his aides schedule him down to every five-minute increment. And so he has this like relentless, insanely detailed schedule, and it helps him stay on task. Uh, and this technique is called time boxing. Uh, and there's a couple of people, Bill Gates also uses this technique, and it's the practice of setting a fixed amount of time for each task and integrating the resulting time blocks into your schedule. So what you do is, uh, it, what this does is it creates uh, a useful limitation of of where that ta- what that task needs to fill. So there's a law called Parkinson's law, which is basically says that work expand work expands to fill the time allotted for it. So you need to have deadlines, sometimes self-imposed, especially when you are an entrepreneur, uh, on how long it's going to take you to do a task. So if you schedule out your day in these increments, that will create a useful limitation for you to complete that task. So it's like saying, you know, oh. If you don't have a schedule for something and you want to complete a task, it might take you two hours because you're going to, you know, dawdle here and there, whatever yeah. else. But then if you actually schedule the time, then it might take you 30 minutes if you're yeah. like 100% involved in what you're doing. That's why they say, that's why if, if you ever heard of the saying, if you want to get something done, give it to someone who's super busy. Because they're going to say, quickly. I got other stuff to do. I'm going to sit down, get this done, and, and, and be move on. So the next reason why it's kind of beneficial is it removes choice or decision-making. And it just, in the moment, and you're like, well, what should I do? Should I do this? Or what should I prioritize? It takes all that, and you're just focused on, this is what I have to do, and immediately jump in. And then you waste less time because you're focused on exactly what the task is at hand. Uh, one of the difficulties with this is, really is 
estimating uh, the amount of time something is going to take. Uh, his t- they've done studies about humans and, and how sometimes we they, they did a study where they asked people what how long would I, I ideally take to complete this task, and then how long would it take you know just normally uh, with non-ideal. And basically, they found that all these people rated the different times, and they just say basically said the same times. <laughs> it would take the same time. So people o- tend to uh, overestimate their abilities sometimes, and uh, and especially estimating the task length. So one thing that you can do when time boxing is you can leave uh, a block of time for uh, interruptions or for uh, you know, to complete a task that you didn't get finished earlier or to an extra space. So leave a little bit of cushion. Basically, it's a cushion block. So leave some cushion into your schedule. Um, leave some time to, you know, uh, to BS, shoot the breeze. When you walk into the office, you know, you're going to talk to the guy sitting down next. When we eventually go back to the office, which for me is probably going to be September, right? Uh, you said yours is coming probably soon. Probably next too. year. Yeah, early next year. So, I mean, you got to leave time. You, if you If you have your block starting immediately this time and then, you're blocked out every single five minutes. You got to block out some time to say, "Hey, how's it going? How's your weekend?" Because you know, building relationships is critical. So, yep. uh, that was one of the cool things that I found uh, was one of the habits of uh, one of the billionaires. I have some others to share, but I'll share those later later in the episode. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I wanted to talk about um, a, a survey that was done with millionaires, um, and this was millionaires that maybe had that had just broken the threshold, right? Whether it's one million dollars or hundred million dollars, and so there was there was a bunch of different people in here, but basically there was a D- Dave Ramsey conducted, um, or his company right conducted a national survey of ten thousand millionaires. Uh, there's been a couple of things like this. There's some books out there like the Everyday Millionaire or the Millionaire Next Door. There's different things like that where they've done surveys, but this one was recently done, 2017 to 2018, so not not that long ago. Um, but basically they, they had a whole, uh, summary of basically what their findings were. I just wanted to kind of review some of the, the bullet points of the findings and, um, what's interesting is that me reading these things is it's really not that uncommon. Um, like you said at the beginning, there might, there might be a janitor out there that is making, you know, fifty thousand dollars a year but he's got uh you know he worked for 50 60 years or whatever and he's been had a had a solid saving strategy and some investment strategies and whatever else it might be and he has over a million dollars in the bank so it's a lot more common than you think so some of the some of the statistics or the bullet points were eight out of ten of these ten thousand millionaires um invested in a 401k with their company um, when they did the match or, or whatever else, or they were saving above and beyond that. Um, average years spent working, saving, and investing before they came became millionaires was 28 years. So most of them reached this stage of being a millionaire by the age of 49, um, which is interesting to know. So, I mean, there's definitely working, saving, investing for 28 years was the average. Um, 79% of these millionaires, these 10,000 millionaires received no inheritance. And so, you know, they was self-made 21, 79%. So that's the, that's the eight out of 10 that, uh, 
<laughs> what did you say? Yeah, eight, eight out of ten invest in the uh, 401k. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, those so are the, the ones who actually are self-made. Yeah, the the people, other yeah. ones are just giving it to them. Yeah, so 20% <laughs> um, received some inheritance and 3% received inheritance of more than a million dollars. Um, so that 20%, they might've received, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Maybe dad died and had a $500,000, uh, life insurance policy. And after everything else, each of the kids got $50,000 or something, you know, I don't know. Um, so I just thought it was interesting that 80% of them are completely self-made. Um, and this is kind of interesting too, because I think a lot of people, when, whenever they hear millionaires, they kind of zone out and they kind of think, oh, well, that's not possible for me. Right. They're like, oh, that's not me. I work, you know, whatever it may, whatever industry may be. But basically the top five careers of all of these 10,000 millionaires that they interviewed was uh, engineer, accountant, teacher, management, and attorney. So teacher is surprising. Yeah. I mean, that probably includes, that includes college professors too, which college professors can make North of a hundred thousand dollars a year. Management is is very vague, but management's very an attorney. Right. I mean, yeah, obviously attorneys make good money. Engineers make good money. Accountants, if you're you if you own your own business, you yeah, make decent. I mean, but if you if you're a corporate accountant, I mean, you can make a million dollars over a career in corporate America. Yeah, and so those were the top five careers um, that were making. I suppose so, finance isn't on there. Yeah, I don't know. Like uh, banking uh, or something. I mean, maybe that fall, maybe that falls into management. Yeah, maybe know, money maybe. management. Maybe yeah. So a couple more statistics with it is, so 31% of these millionaires averaged $100,000 a year over their career. So that was their average for all the years that they worked. They averaged $100,000, 31% of them. A third of them, so what is that, 33% of them, uh, they never made, they never had a single year where they broke the six-figure mark. Wow. A third of them never made over $100,000 in a year. Never broke that six-figure mark, which that's crazy. Yeah, um, it is. Last, uh, last thing here is 80% of them went to college, and 52% of them have graduate degrees. Um, so I just think it was kind of... So it's interesting. Ahead. It speaks almost to more... So these are educated folks. 88% went to college. The other percent <laughs> inherited their money, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's almost like these folks know how to ha- know how to manage money, but even though a, large, a third of them never even made over uh, six figures, six figures, hundred thousand um, dollars in their entire career, but they know how to manage money because they've they've they're educated. Uh, you know, maybe they got a crazy liberal arts degree and basket weaving, but. You know they're millionaires, so they can do it, and it's just it's just interesting. I think how education is almost more important than what you're making, because if you know how to manage your money, then it doesn't matter. Education, as far as financial education, yeah, exactly. not. I mean, obviously, work or career education is important. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Even if it's self education, I mean, there's so much free content out there to. And maybe it wasn't the same way you know 20 years ago, but now there's so much content out there to be able to understand finances. Well, this is the data scientist in me coming out, but I'm thinking there might be a little bit of a, a selection bias in this survey, uh, which is when you the group that you're looking at is itself biased by a certain means because there are people who are listening to Dave Ramsey because there must have been on his website, right? 
Unless he did, I don't know how he. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how he. I don't know how he contacted or found out that these people were millionaires, or if it was just a. Yeah, I don't know. There's ten thousand of them, but I mean that definitely probably comes comes into comes into play. Um. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. That one of the main things that stuck out to me was that it takes time to build that up. Now, yeah, there are some people that dumped their life savings into Dogecoin and became millionaires, right? Overnight. Overnight, but then. And then it went was back. it Bitcoin? And then, and then went back down. I think Bitcoin hasn't had like a, oh, I'm gonna, like a two year run that's been less than like, oh, that's been less than like five percent or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it, it's it's possible that you could get rich quick, right? And I, th- there's there's plenty of people that do it, and that's that's awesome. But th- I guess, and, and it's kind of the Dave Ramsey style. Some people love him, some people hate him. Uh, there's certain uh, practices and suggestions that he gives that I like. Um, but one of the things is longevity, right? That if you just stick with it and you live below your means and you educate yourself, like you said, and you uh, save, then you can get there and you can get past there. Um, hopefully to be able to, you know, speed up the process of this building wealth. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick break and say thank you for listening to this episode and invite you to support us on Patreon. As a loyalist supporter, you will get exclusive access to two additional episodes per month, which are not released to the public. You can find the link to our Patreon page in the episode description. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, invest your money wisely. One of the great one, one great book out there is called The Richest Man in Babylon. Uh, I read that when I was in college. Really good book. Short read, but very good. Teaches good principles about money management, about building wealth, about creating uh, a successful uh, money management mindset. Uh, (laughs) So uh, go check it out. Um, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. We should do an episode on that one. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, So I have some other tips from the billionaires uh, with the B section. And these are kind of some other tips that entrepreneurs and uh, any successful folks do. One of the ones I like is wake up early. Uh, a lot of these guys wake up around 5 a.m. every morning. They work out, they meditate, they learn, they prepare for their day. Uh, they take time to think, uh, to sit and just just let their creative juices flow without any distractions. So don't, don't listen. Sometimes I, I feel like I need to do that more because I'm so go, 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 go with everything. I'm trying to take courses. I'm trying to listen to podcasts. I'm trying to... Uh, learn things, prepare for stuff, multitask, do so many things at one time. But uh, that's why sometimes when I'm sitting, when I'm taking a shower, uh, work things will come to my mind that will help me with work. I'm like, oh, this is how I need to build that table, or this is how I should do this in Excel. And, and even though I'm not sitting in front of Excel, these formulas will kind of come to me. It's like a beautiful mind. It's like, ooh, and I'm just like <laughs> writing on the shower. No, not not quite that detailed. But I, I just like, oh, this is how I should build that, or this will be a good visual. Uh, and so that, that's important, uh, to, to but do if that. you were in the shower and you were jamming to music, then you probably, probably wouldn't have come. Yeah. To you. you wouldn't have that self-reflection time and that creative time. Uh, the next one is recognize that criticism is a part of the journey. Uh, now if you're an entrepreneur, you got to have a high pain tolerance. Uh, you got to be able to stick it out and not give up easy. Uh, I was listening, watching a, a video with Mark Zuckerberg and he said that one of the toughest times he, he had was that. Facebook was at a point where Yahoo uh, wanted to buy him out. And, and he said, yeah, we're not interested in being bought out. 
And he said a bunch of people at the company, this was early, early days of, of, of Facebook. He said that a bunch of the management were pretty pissed that he did that because they were, they were looking for the buyout and they didn't, they were like, Oh, this is, this idea is not very good. And they didn't have faith in the idea. He said that they over that every single one of those people in management left, uh, within the next year or so. And, uh, that was a hard thing for them to go through, but, uh, they didn't have the tough skin. Like they didn't have that tolerance. Like he did. they didn't have that belief in, in what they were doing. And so, uh, you, you got to be able willing to take that calculated risk. And that's, that's kind of my next one is that if you always play it safe, you'll never achieve anything great. Uh, you must take calculated risks. Often the difference between, one of the quotes I found that I liked was said, often, often the difference between the successful person and a person who is not one who has better abilities or ideas, but the courage that one has to bet on one's ideas to take a calculated risk and to act. Uh, Andre Malraux said that. Uh, I thought a perfect example of this is with Jeff Bezos, uh, who is... One of the rich, I think the richest man on earth. Uh, I read something, I saw something the other day that said, if you made $180,000 a year from the time that Christ was born till now, Jeff Bezos would still be richer than you. Jeez, (laughs) isn't that crazy, man? Oh my gosh. So uh, Jeff Bezos, if you don't know who he is, go look it up. Uh, he was working in a high-paying job on Wall Street, hedge fund, D.E. Shaw & Co. So he was working a really high job. This is back in, in the 1990s. And, I mean, a hedge, working at a hedge fund, man, he could he's probably be a millionaire in just a matter of a few years. And I know that his wife also worked at that time. Well, now his ex-wife, right? So sad. That's a different story. Yeah. Um, so he felt called to entrepreneurship and... In 1994, he quit his job to start Amazon. Uh, now he's the most wealthy man in the world with $160 billion in net worth. Basil said, for me, I had to protect myself forward. Oh, excuse me. Let me restart that. Jeff said, for me, I had to project myself forward to age 80. I don't want to be 80-year-old cataloging a bunch of major regrets of my life. So he looked forward to when he was 80 years old and said, what am I going to look back and say, I wish I'd done this, I wish I had not had done this, or what did I leave on the table? And because of that, he was encouraged to become an entrepreneur and start Amazon, which is arguably one of the, the best, biggest companies that there is. And he's become insanely wealthy because of it, because he took that risk, and because he believed in himself. So I love that uh that aspect of, of entrepreneurship and, and taking risks. You look at any, uh, you know, big multi-billionaire or, or uh, you know, someone who's really made it in business and they've had to take calculated risks. That's what it takes. Yeah. Uh, a couple other ones that I kind of um, thought was really interesting um, in my research was uh, a couple of those fall into to my list as well. But one one that I thought was interesting was prioritize your health. Um, you know, rarely do you see. Well, I don't know. Maybe I won't say that. I was gonna say rarely. Rarely do you see people that are super wealthy be like incredibly out of shape. And then I you're guess. like, and then you're like, oh wait, uh, Warren Buffett eats a McDonald's sandwich every, every single day. day. 
and drinks Coke like they're nonstop. Yeah, but he's like ninety <laughs> something years old too. So, um, uh, another one was build strong teams, uh, embrace your failure. We kind of talked about that. Um, take <clears throat> take your time, love what you do, uh, always be learning. We talked about that a little bit, um, and just continuously, you know, finding finding ways to better yourself. Yeah. Um, one of the things I did in, in, in not just for millionaires, but just habits of just building wealth in general, um, was living below your means. Obviously, if you're, yeah. if you're spending more money than you're making, then you won't have extra money to invest or to save or to whatever your strategy is for building wealth. My strategy right now is to plow as much money into investments that I possibly can. And I feel like that's a lesson that I've uh, learned from just looking at what, how successful people do Uh, are how they get create wealth is by taking that extra money that they have and plowing it into assets that earn them money, whether that's stocks, um, dividend paying stocks or real estate. I've, you know, we're trying to save up to buy a a rental house or I've got a lot of money in my stocks right and, and stocks right now, or, you know, I've got some money in cryptocurrencies, uh, and so just just doing that is is really I think what makes the difference and you're trying to create more of a, a cash flow income than just your day-to-day job. Yeah. Some other kind of day-to-day things that the the everyday man can do or woman I guess everyday person could do to focus on building that wealth is uh don't gamble. Uh, read every day. We talked about uh, forget the TV and spend less time surfing the internet. Um that one was kind of interesting. That maybe struck a chord with me. It's like, man, I, we just watched five hours of TV. You know, the kids went to bed, and now it's time for us to go to bed. It's like, dang. You know, like, well, I don't surf the internet. I surf YouTube. <laughs> yeah, Ethan's got a PhD in YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it hasn't hasn't paid off yet. <laughs> it's paying off, man. Our YouTube videos look great. Oh yeah, that is true. That's true. <laughs> uh, network going to go above and beyond. Avoid procrastination. Uh, talk less. Listen more. Avoid toxic people in your life. Don't give up. Uh, get a mentor, and uh, you'll you'll find your way. So. Yeah, I like that one. Get a mentor. You mentioned that. That was one of the ones I had also. Uh, get someone who's where you want to be, and then listen to them. Uh, that's something that I've kind of struggled with in the corporate world, where they're like, "Oh, let's do a mentorship thing," and I'm like, "Well, I don't necessarily want to be in this corporate world in 30 years. I, if I'm doing this job 30 years from now." I'm going to look back and I'm going to have that list of regrets just like Jeff Bezos. So that's why I kind of struggle with mentors on in a corporate environment because I don't necessarily want to be in that situation. And typically they're mentors that are older. Lifelong yeah. company. Oh, I've company been, here, I've been here 40 years. I've been here 40 years and we're at the same, we're at the same level. Oh, that's, oh, that's great. <laughs> that's a different thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was one. Uh, the other thing is, uh, know how to manage your mood and your mindset. So if you are going to be tough, if you're going to be a tough person, you need to be able to manage your own, how you react to situations in your own mood and not let uh, external forces, you know, just push you to the wind uh, and and create your emotions. You need to be able to uh, control those and that will be better beneficial to you. Um, Believe in yourself. You mentioned that. And then obsess over what it is that you, that you love. Uh, You know, like 
just upset. How many how many baskets did Michael Jordan shoot? How many hours did Elon Musk sleep in the Tesla factory? I mean, you, I don't know if you've heard the stories, but when they were behind on production and this stuff, he would go to the factory and he would work, work, work there and solve all these issues, solve all these problems on the floor. And then he would sleep in his office on a couch on a couch for like four hours and then wake up and then just work solid. And then for like 24 hours and then he would sleep for four hours on his couch, get up and do the same thing. And he did that for like weeks. And obviously he, he admitted that he was absolutely like, <laughs> he's like, nobody should ever do that. <laughs> yeah. But he had that dedication. He believed in. Yeah. Well, I think there's a certain time and place for everything too. And this kind of goes into that, like how much you work. I mean, if I did that, my wife would kill me. Yeah. Um, and so it's there's time and place, right? And I think that also goes along with the risk aspect of things. You know, now if if I was a, a single guy, I would be much more willing to take maybe more higher risk situations because I don't know, there's not, not as much riding on you know, I can take care of myself. I go live in a van down by the river and probably be perfectly okay with that, <laughs> right? But I'm not, you know it's completely different when you've got an entire family and a lifestyle and kids and everything else, or you're trying to support and, and, and everything. I don't know that there's been a couple opportunities that I feel like, well, I'm not going to do that because of my situation. And I've always been like, well, was that a good decision or a bad decision? Or I, I don't know, but what I'm just going to put my head down and try to go forward and apply some of these tactics. Well, I think that sometimes there's, there's cause for like, you know, Make hay when the sun shines. Uh, kind of, I think that's a saying. Or, like I had a, like when I was in Mexico, my mission president, he he would talk to us and he said, you know what, there were he he was a farmer and he said there was times when we knew that there was a, a frost coming, and we had hundreds of acres to to uh, harvest before that frost came. So he's like, we worked day and night to yep. to harvest that stuff because if we didn't we'd be losing hundreds of thousands of dollars and uh so there's a time when that type of action is required and i think that every i i think that now with kind of coronavirus and with working in a corporate cushy job corporate environment i think we get used to uh not having to take on that risk and, and we get used to that lifestyle but it, i think that part of taking the risk and being that guy uh, who's going to make the big paycheck, but you got to take the risk is, is being able to put yourself in a situation where sometimes you might have to work that hard. Now, obviously nobody wants to work that hard. Um, it's exhausting uh, like, all the time, all the time. And, and you can't, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, when, when there's situations where like, honestly, um, I, I have, one of the people that I have, I really admired recently is, uh, our brother-in-law, Eric Strubble. His, uh, I, I think it's so cool that he's a, he's a chiropractor. He just started, he just bought his own building and he's starting up his own practice. And, uh, the way that his, his, his wife, my sister and, and family and their kids have rallied around him uh, and they've come together as a family to build this practice and he's working hard at it. He's there long nights. He's there long hours. He's there on Saturdays, uh, working with contractors to get, because they bought an older building and they have to do some work on it. And so it's a family business that they're running. Yeah, everybody's involved. And everybody's involved and it's a hard work and it's not easy. And he's a business owner. And I think that it's so clear that, you know, my sister's like, 
I understand that. And she's there working right along with him. And I, and I just think that that's so special uh, that you get someone, uh, first of all, you get a couple like that that works together in their endeavors and that uh, you get a, a wife that's supportive uh, for your business and, you know, that understands that you guys are doing something difficult and that what's being done is for the family. And I think that if you were in a situation like that too, uh, I think that uh, Kayla would you right foot understand. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, the last thing I wanted to kind of talk about here, this has always been an interesting topic and and Jared and I talk about this every now and then too, but, um, is people that went, that become wealthy because they win the lottery or they win like a large inheritance or something, large inheritance, or they win big in Vegas or whatever else. So I, I looked up some, uh, basically, uh, some statistics of long-term statistics of lottery winners. Let's call it that. Um, and these are just a couple questions that they went through. Um, there was two surveys that were done. One of them was mainly done around Florida. I guess Florida is one of the states that has the uh, the largest lottery and the most most lottery uh, winnings per state, I guess. Um, and not including national lotteries, but uh, I don't even know if there are national lotteries. I don't know. I don't know. Basically, the first one is, uh, first question was, how many lottery winners go broke within five years? How many do you think? Did you look at it? Out of how many? Just percentage-wise. <laughs> I would say 90%. Okay, that's not not that much. Okay, so uh, winning the lottery is good for the short term. Um, oh, within but five? It, oh, yeah, yeah. But it says, uh, one study in uh, of Florida winners sta- uh, found that 70% of them had spent every last dime of their jackpot winnings within five years. Oh my gosh! Within five years, they'd spent every dime of it. Well, what are the winnings rates? This is multi millions of dollars, right? Yeah. So this is, I mean, that's jackpot winners. So I mean, that could be anywhere from a couple hundred thousand to a couple million, hundred million. I'd be hard pressed to spend a hundred million in five years. Yeah, but you know, still, can you imagine winning? Even $500,000, half a million dollars, and then it's gone in five years. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it'd be easy. I mean, you buy, I, th- I think one of the statistics, I didn't write it down here, but it said um, the average car amount, cost, price of cars when people um, win the lottery is I guess people a lot of people go out and buy cars is eighty thousand dollars. Oh my gosh. Was the average car price of people after they buy after they win the lottery. Um so next one is this is an interesting one. How common is divorce after lottery winners? I know we talked a little bit about Bezos and his uh s- marital situation, right? But it says um I mean money is one of the the top things that people fight about, right? And not, not just lack of money. But in but, this case, but a massive yeah, insurgent money. money. Yeah. Um, I would have thought that it would have been more, but it said the divorced rate for post-winning increases only 3% compared to the the average person. Only 3%, which wasn't as high as I thought, but still, well, I mean, that's 3%. You don't want to get divorced if, you're, if your person's got money. <laughs> I guess that's true. But I wonder what the rates are around, like, people losing family. I mean, like... There's been a lot of cases where people win the lottery, and it's that money has acted almost like a poison to every single person that they love. 
because everybody wants a piece of it and they want more and they want more and then there gets bitter feelings and then it just sours every single relationship that you have uh, and then yeah. people you yeah. know, end up in a bad state. Uh, next one is, what percent of people say that they'd keep their jobs if they won? So this is not even people that actually won. This is people that they just asked people, if you won the lottery, would you keep your job? I bet and nobody would keep their job. 67% of Americans said that they would keep their job. After, really? Yeah, 67% of people. I was like, dude, if I won $100 million, I'd be like, peace. Actually, I would wait until every all like, the cash cleared, like, the check cleared, <laughs> and everything else, their taxes were paid, and then I was like, okay, now peace. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, man, wow. But, uh, but then the next question was, how many lottery winners actually stay at their jobs? And it was 52% of uh, participants still had a job or were self-employed after they won the lottery. So, I mean, I think some of that number too is kind of rounding back to the beginning. It might be now you, I don't know, you start a business that you finally wanted to do or you start, I don't know, you you, you win a hundred million dollars and you build a blacksmithing shop and now you're building knives and then you just sell them because they're fun or, or something like that. You know, people that, or, or they work because they maybe get bored. I don't know. Or they you just want to get out of the house. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Those are just some interesting statistics around lottery winners. And but the first one is the first one's the most shocking. Oh yeah. And I think seventy percent of them spend all their money within five years. And that's a testament to the way that I always thought about the lottery is, and the really the argument against the lotteries is that it's a tax on the poor, or really you could say it's a tax on the stupid, because the people that. Buy the lottery poor, tickets. Poor, poor, poor does not equal stupid, though. Well, <laughs> yes, but those are two different statements. Uneducated, probably. Those are two different statements. It's a tax on the stupid because the people don't understand the odds. The odds are not in your favor. It's unbelievably not in your favor. It's a The ta- average odds was like one in 150 million. Yeah. And, and, and I say, so that's one reason. And I say, it's also a tax on the poor because the poor people are the ones that are usually buying these things because they want that moonshot of a chance it's to a, get it's the hope. lottery. It's it's almost they're selling people hope. False hope, but hope. So really, when people who argue against uh, lotteries coming into their states, the argument is is that this is an unproportional burden on the lowest level of income people in the state. But it's an educational lottery. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it's just like, okay, so we're taxing. So really, if you think about like it's just an extra tax on the poor people so that uh you know we can you know have this lottery and so that's that's the argument against it is that the people don't yeah. know the they don't know they don't understand and they just want any to grasp at straws for the chance yeah i think it comes down to education in the end it comes down to uh, it, and, and even more than that it maybe comes down to having a desire for education you don't know what you don't know and if like you said, most people get to retirement and they haven't even thought about retirement before they got there or they're 10 years or five years from retirement thinking about it. And then they're like, Oh shoot, I haven't thought about this over the past 50 years. And, um, you know, educate yourself, look it up, look up. There's so many things on YouTube or just the internet or, or or whatever. Talk to a financial advisor if you want to. Um, but, at least have a goal and work towards that goal. Uh, I think that is the number one thing that you can start doing today is living below your means and having a goal and working towards it. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think for me, one thing that I would say that I've really taken away from this, aside from one of the things that you've said, is uh, wake up early, plan out your days, and take risks. Don't be afraid to take risks. Uh, and like you said, goals. Uh, those, those are so important. So, you know, we've said a lot here, probably a lot to digest. Uh, we thank you guys for coming and listening to us today. Uh, we appreciate uh, you listening. And also, uh, if you can, please leave us a, a, a review on iTunes uh, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We uh, That helps us get some street cred so that people could say, oh, these guys are decent. We'll listen to them. Uh, we've been doing some uh, some effort, some kind of uh, videos and stuff on TikTok. Ethan's been doing our TikTok master. And Instagram as well. Instagram as well. And so we've been, uh, we've got one video. We've got quite a few views. Uh, it's like 150,000, interestingly enough. Yeah. So uh, that was pretty cool. That was one of our, on our Man-Made Disasters 2 episode, which was pretty cool. We talked about Deepwater Horizon. Uh, evidently, we, we we realized that we are not oil oil men or oil, oil experts. Rig experts. Uh, but we, we never claimed to be. We never claimed to be, but we th- there's definitely some people that pointed that out and were like, "Yeah, we're definitely not oil rig experts." I'll, I'll take the I'll take the co- the good comments with the troll comments. If you were on the Deepwater Horizon, please reach out to us. We would love to have you on the episode. <laughs> and, yeah. and so, so th- this has been a great episode. I think uh, we can really say let's uh, let's build together towards this uh, towards this wealth, right? I mean, I'm not at the millionaire status yet. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm so close. But I'm 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 hoping to get there yep. sooner than later. And I think some of these principles, I know that, that these principles that we talked about, uh, will will get us there. We'll get you guys there who are listening or watching. Um, and let's make some of these things part of our creed. Let's 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 build that creed together so that we can become better people. Let's do it. Thanks for joining, guys.